Hi, and welcome to Wild Milk Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Caroline. And I'm Susan. Come hang out with us as we talk true crime, hauntings, aliens, cryptids, and everything paranormal, weird, or unexplained. know what our topic is today I don't even know what we're talking this is a total surprise for me what do you think it is do you want to guess okay well I know that you were wanting to talk about missing people so I kind of feel like maybe it's a missing person but I don't know for sure no dang okay (laughs) um okay so it is the national forest serial killer Gary Michael Hilton have you heard of him I recognize the name and I think I've watched at least one or two things about him, but I don't know all of the info about him for sure. So his most publicized case, I guess, uh, or, or killing would be Meredith Emerson, the 24-year-old that went missing in Georgia off of a hiking trail and her dog was found. I remember the dog. Yeah. Not surprisingly. Always the dog. Um, always but the dog. he actually has two other known cases that he was... Um, went to trial for, but I I wanted to do him because the one case, the first one I'm going to talk about actually is like in my parents' backyard, Um, same town, and I didn't even know about it. So anyway, I'm going to do his background first, and I have a ton of resources, but the main one that I want to shout out would be, um, I believe her name is Lisa Greenhouse. That's her username on Reddit. She did a amazing write-up um and I used a lot of her information because I mean it's just like so in-depth and so good but I have I also read a book there's like an 89 page book that a retired police officer who was part of Gary Hilton's like case Mm -hmm. I guess did of him um so I have a few quotes from that but I went really in-depth on this just because I've never heard of him before. You hear of serial killers all the time, but this one's pretty recent, and I had never heard of him. How recent? Like, what What are we talking about? Um, So, he was last, and he last went to trial in 2012, but his first known killing is 2007. It's pretty damn recent. Yeah, so, um, here we go. This is Gary Michael Hilton. So he was born November 26, 1946, in Atlanta, Georgia. So he's a Sagittarius. Oh, you know. Oh, you know. He was born to William Hilton, and his mother was Cleo Reynolds. His mother remarried his stepdad in his youth, and according to many sources, Gary shot his stepfather, whose name was Milo DeBag, in a rage over how he treated his mother. Because of this, he did spend some time in a mental hospital, but his stepfather did not die and I guess forgave him because he was invited back into the home. The defense and court transcripts, which I was able to pull from Florida, because I guess Florida just doesn't care who knows anything about anything. That's all public record. I could not find any for North Carolina or Georgia where the other two cases happened. So here's the here's the thing about pu- things that are public record. That all of that kind of stuff, like court records and stuff like that, unless it's sealed for some reason. 
that's always going to be public record. But some places want to make it as easy as possible for you to get your hands on everything so they never have to deal with a request. Mm -hmm. And some places would prefer to know who gets information. So you have to file this whole thing in a request for information or be able to actually like physically go there to look at it or something like that. So it's kind of, there are places like, um, like police reports are also public record. Yeah. But most places don't make them super easy, but there's in Tarrant County, which is like Dallas, Texas, they just scan everything in. So you can literally just read. And the reason I know that is because somebody that I knew like way back when, I found out that he was in prison and I was like, what's he in prison for? So I start looking and find out that um, his whole thing was robbing gas stations. Oh, God. No, no. I'm sorry. Not gas stations. Car washes. He robbed car washes. What? And the police reports are hands down one of the most hysterical things I have ever read in my life. Well, that's good to know. I was like freaking out because I couldn't find North Carolina and Georgia, but obviously they're just making it harder to find. Florida doesn't give they're, a shit. Or maybe they scan it. And they're just behind. I mean, there's a, but but anyway, maybe that's why it's because it's public record, but they, it has to be public, but they don't have to make it easy. Yeah. So in the court transcripts for Florida, they did say that Hilton experienced a traumatic brain injury as a child, as well as emotional abuse from his mother and his stepfather. In 1964, Hilton did join the Army as a paratrooper. He had a tour in Germany, and he also received his GED. He was discharged in 1967 after a schizophrenic episode. The Army put him into a mental hospital. That's where he was drugged for the first time with Thorazine. Rather than give him Section 8 psychiatric discharge, the Army chose to give him an honorable discharge instead. Following the Army, Hilton had three failed marriages under his belt. The longest was reportedly only two years. Once he was discharged from the Army, he also had a difficult time keeping a job, bounced around working as a chauffeur for two years in 1970, and then in 1995, he worked as a door-to-door book salesman, but was arrested for stealing those books. So starting in 1997, I know, Susan, I know, that's what I did. She's like holding in a laugh. I mean, like, you, I, I really hate it when the serial killers make me feel bad for them, like, up front. Like, buddy, you were really struggling, weren't you? Yeah. And like, it doesn't you, say... You stole the books you were supposed to... I mean, you don't... That's not... It can't be worth that much. Like, what was the point? What were you going to do? When I was reading the arrest record, of, of course, it doesn't have anything about if he, like, resold them for money, but it was like... Did he, like, what kind of books were they? Were they, like, books he wanted to read? Or did he just steal them to steal them because he could? I don't know. I or have maybe so he... questions, and it has to be encyclopedias. Did they sell anything uh, else door-to-door? No. no, not in 1995. Um, and even that is really pushing the envelope for how long people sold encyclopedias door-to-door. Also, do you think, like, he took this job as a door-to-door salesman, was given the books, and then just never showed up again. So they said he stole them? Potentially? I mean, that's the only thing I can think of, is that he, not so much that he did it intentionally, but I don't know, man. There's There, there has to be more to that story, but I'm sure no one will ever find out what it is. <laughs> so it gets weirder, believe it oh, or not. Good. Um, 
Starting in 1997, he worked for 10 years for a siding company doing odd jobs in Georgia. He was always around the Atlanta, Georgia area, but he was fired when he threatened to kill the owner unless the owner paid him $10,000. It was never really said if the owner really owed him this $10,000 or if Gary was just like, I'm going to kill you if you don't give it to me, but he was fired. Because I of sort that. of feel like that's flashbacks from my previous job. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, yeah, that sounds, that actually sounds reasonable. Like, not reasonable, but like something that absolutely could reasonably happen. Like, yeah. I feel like working for a siding company and working for a lawn company. Probably the same. Similar. Similar, yeah. So starting in the early 1970s, he... Um, had a reoccurring problem with the law. It started with a DUI that led to theft, drug, and illegal weapon possession. And then in 1995 to multiple solicitation charges. And it said multiple, and it was like 20-something solicitation charges. And that's like prostitution, am I right? Yes, soliciting a prostitute. Yeah, so, so. sketch. On the other hand, like, of all the things to be arrested for, like, because you offered to pay someone for sex who was selling sex, like. But, like, 20-something times? Dude, quit getting caught. Quit getting caught. Quit getting caught. (laughs) Quit getting caught. (laughs) This is how Um, I felt about my friend with the car washes. Anyway, that's a whole other situation. Okay, so here's where it gets crazy. So Samuel Rail, R-A-E-L, I'm not really sure if that's how you say that. Um, He did an interview with CNN about Hilton's involvement in a straight-to-video film that Rail created in 1995, and Samuel Rail, I'm just going to say Samuel, was a former attorney turned film producer, and the film that he worked with Hilton on was called Deadly Run, and this is a blurb from IMDb, because that's the only place I could find information about this film. What? Do you know this movie? The movie that they filmed about a serial killer? In the National Forest? Mm-hmm. Okay, this is why I know this guy's name, is because of this. this. Have you this seen this? This is what I remember. I've seen excerpts from it, but I've okay. never seen the whole thing. I don't even know if you can find the whole thing. So it's really strange, because he supposedly didn't have his first victim until 2007, 2008, mm-hmm. but he helped this attorney come up with the idea for this film in 1995. So this is from IMDb. Respected and very wealthy Atlanta, Georgia area realtor Bobby Wilson has a wife, son, and daughter, but does some things, but does some things unknown to them. He has a cabin on a rural tract 200 miles to the north to where he often flies his airplane carrying abducted, minimally attached females who he there releases his game and fatally hunts. A girlfriend of a victim convinces a cop to help close in on Bobby. So Samuel recalls Hilton saying, go ahead and let some beautiful women out in the woods and then they could be hunted down like prey. Like that was his idea straight from his mouth for this movie. And in the right in the CNN interview that Samuel did, um, he said he was a criminal and he'd be the first to admit it. He might have been a sociopath, but he was a happy one and an animated one. One who, quite frankly, I never would have thought in a million years, dot, dot, dot. Well, he had criminal instincts, but he was not a violent person. I was wrong about that. 
I think it's so fucking crazy that the this idea he had for this film is basically what played out in real life. Which makes you wonder, had he already done this? No, because they didn't. I mean, potentially, potentially. That we know if he didn't, but like, or did, or was that already the idea? And then he made the movie and then the, like, was it just one of those things that he just couldn't, like the movie wasn't good enough. He had to actually do it. That's what I'm thinking. So Hilton came up with the shooting location, which was a cabin in North Georgia that actually 13 years later ended up being 30 miles away from where his murder victim, Meredith Emerson was discovered. So it's kind of like you said, he needed to actually do it in real life or he'd always had this, idea for this movie and he was like I mean I should just do it yeah so Hilton was an avid outdoorsman he spent much of his time hiking and camping and spent large amounts of time actually living in forest of the southeast in the early 2000s Hilton hunted his way through forest of the south including Pisgah National Forest Apalachicola National Forest and the Chatta Hoochie National Forest, committing atrocious murders along the way, giving him the nickname the National Forest Serial Killer. So, Pisgah National Forest, I grew up in Pisgah National Forest. It's only 20 miles from my house, and that's where his first victims were. Wow. Which is super creepy. But I had super creepy. I guess we'll know. Okay, so, (laughs) 2007, so I was um, a junior in high school. I don't remember this, though. It's one of those things that you don't necessarily hear about while it's happening. Mm-hmm. Partially because at the time he wasn't known to be a serial killer. Right. But also because it's just the kind of thing that's like. like I, mean, I don't know. It's probably on the news. But at the same time, when you're a teenager, you just don't pay attention to those kinds of things. No, I wasn't worried about that. And also, I feel like we know more now about crimes because podcasts are more of a relevant thing Mm -hmm. they they might have been then but not from what I can remember Mm -mm. we didn't have podcasts I mean I don't know I guess maybe I guess maybe they existed but it wasn't it just wasn't something that like people didn't just routinely listen to podcasts it was kind of niche I remember podcasts coming around once the iPhone Mm -hmm. was invented but I mean even up until 2010 I still had a Blackberry so I mean even if I just don't remember them being a thing. I think it was just more of a, it was a narrower audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Than it is now. Now lots of people listen to all kinds of different types of podcasts. Yeah. I think initially it was much more, much more targeted. And I'm not sure that that, I don't know. I don't really know if there were that many crime podcasts either. Maybe like OG, like Dateline mate. Excuse me, something like that, but I don't know. I couldn't I tell know, you. I don't remember if they started. I know they have a podcast now, but I kind of feel like they came to it late. Yeah. Anyway. I, we should look up what podcasts were originally intended for, because I'm sure it wasn't to talk about murder. I think it was just to talk about any specific topic. Yeah. But I wonder what the first podcast, like, what was the first podcast? Google it. Google it. I'm interested. <clears throat> Dead End Days, a serialized dark comedy about zombies, released 
from October 31st, 2003 through 2004, is commonly believed to be the first video podcast. Okay. Sorry. Looks like 2003-2004. The word podcast, how do we go down these rabbit holes? The (laughs) word podcast is derived from a combination of two words, iPod and broadcast. Which is funny because I was about to say, why the hell is it even called a podcast? There we go. That makes so much sense. It does make so much sense. So, so I mean, yeah. So it couldn't have, no podcast could have existed before iPods because before iPods, you couldn't have had the term. Well, there we go. We still don't know what the first one was, though. Adam Curry and Dave Weiner are are credited with the invention of podcasting. We're going to look at, we're going to keep looking into this and find an answer because now, yeah. I mean, probably there wasn't just one first one. There were probably multiple that were released like so close together. Um, We're going to come back to this. Yes, we are going to come. But hey, at least now we know where the term podcast and probably there's like every single person is like, you didn't know that's what the term came from. No, I didn't. Just for the record. Don't act better than us. I Don't didn't act better than us. Don't think you're better than us. Anyway, (laughs) anyway, I'm going to talk about his first victims, not his first known victims, but his actual first victims. Okay. So John and Irene Bryant were from Horseshoe, North Carolina. They were previously from hmm, Scanna, Scanna, nope. Let me Google pronounce this word. It's in New York. I should have done this. Schenectady. Schenectady? Mm-hmm. Is that a real, that's it? Mm-hmm. Does that sound right based on? Spell it. S-K-A-N-E-A-T-E-L-E-S. Okay, no, that's the wrong one. Sorry. Okay. Uh, no, I don't know that one. Not right off the top of my head. How anyway. do you pronounce? Let's. Skinny Atlas. Which sounds. I've never even heard of that, but. It sounds not right. I mean, <laughs> but it's okay. <laughs> I'm a um, southern girl. A lot of those, a, a lot of those northeast places don't sound right to me. But yeah, so that's actually <laughs> where they lived most of their life. John was an attorney there. Was actually the town attorney for 24 years. They lived a super fun outdoorsy life well into their 80s. When they died, Irene was 84 and John was almost 80. They hiked weekly and traveled to exciting locations. They were married for 58 years. John conquered the Appalachian Trail over the course of a few years, which is absolutely no small feat. The trail itself is 2,200 miles long, and it stretches from Georgia to Maine. The highest point on the trail is known as Clingman's Dome, and it's 6,653 feet. Crazy. Yeah, and he did that. Um, That's amazing. I've only known... One, actually, like, one person in my life who's actually completed it, and he did it in one trek, but John did it over a few, which is fine. It's still hard either way. I mean, I'm not doing it. I get out of breath podcasting, (laughs) so (laughs) that would never happen. (laughs) Also, who is that serial, or um, not a serial killer, was it the bomber that escaped to the Appalachian Trail, um... The fuck is, is his name? Eric? Bomber? 
No, mm. not the Unabomber? No. Well, now it's going to bug me. Um, Felon. No. I almost feel like we should just change the name to the ADHD podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, God, I just saw an article about him because they said that Brian Laundrie um, potentially had escaped to the Appalachian Trail. I saw that. I also saw people, like, really vehemently complaining about Dog the Bounty Hunter being in Florida. And I'm like, he's a bounty hunter. There's a bounty. Like, what? It's his job. It's his literal job. (laughs) I mean, he's definitely doing it for attention, but if he finds them, did you see that? Look, he's doing it for money, which is what all bounty hunters are doing their jobs for. Like, I can't find a way to fault the guy for that. I did learn some really weird, like, Florida law about bounty hunting, but that's a whole other situation. So Florida doesn't technically allow bounty hunters. Like they don't license bounty hunters. In order to be a bounty hunter, you have to be a licensed bail bondsman in the state of Florida. Okay. (laughs) So, but when you offer a reward for finding somebody, um, pretty much anybody can show up to try to collect that. I'm just, and if you happen to be like a professional bounty hunter with like, you know, a staff and all the vehicles and all that other shit. Why wouldn't you cru- cruise down to Florida, take a little vacation, try to earn 20 grand? Yeah. Um, I, My favorite is the meme that said, if dog, the bounty hunter finds Brian Laundry before the FBI, I'm never paying taxes again. <laughs> because come on guys. Well, come okay. On. But so, so wait, I have to just, I have to just throw in that um, when you're bounty hunting, one of the reasons that bounty hunters can be successful where law enforcement can't is that they don't have to follow the same rules. Professional law enforcement, FBI, police, sheriff's department, there are rules. They can only do certain things. They 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 have to follow a set of rules. Honestly, I figure if he finds them, if he finds somebody they're looking for, they're going to be thrilled. Yeah. Okay, so the guy's name was Eric Rudolph. He was the um, Olympic Park bomber. Oh, okay. He yeah. hid out on the Appalachian Trail. I okay. definitely forgot where I was going. Oh, I was talking about John and Irene Bryant. Okay. Yes, on the Appalachian Trail. Um, <laughs> Pisgah National Forest was basically the Bryant's backyard. It was only about 20 miles from their home. And this was probably a really joyful experience normally because every year people come to that area to look at leaves. They're called leaf lookers. Have you ever heard of them? Okay, only recently have I heard that term. Mm-hmm. Um, I I didn't know there was a term for it. I just thought it was like, yeah, you know, I think people did. <laughs> so growing up, and I didn't know that the leaf looker was like a a term. Yeah, growing up in a tourist area that was known for that, every year in the fall we would just like dread because traffic would be horrible. The national forest would be packed. Like it was absolutely horrible. But that's what John and Irene were doing that day, they packed up on October 21st, 2007 to go leaf looking. Because of their active lifestyle, all their relatives, friends, and neighbors understood that there would be times where they wouldn't hear from them um, for a pretty long period of time. But their son, Bob, who 
lived in Texas, did report them missing on November 2nd, which was almost two weeks after they had gone leaf looking, because they had no plans to camp. It was just a hike. And so two weeks, I mean, that's like... That feels like actually in a long time. Yeah. Well, I feel like he must not have been in regular communication with them. And maybe like a neighbor reached out and said, hey, I haven't seen your parents in a while. Um, those details I couldn't find, but that's what I'm kind of thinking. I forget that not everybody talks to their mom every day. Yeah. And if you're in Texas and they're in North Carolina, live in their own life, it's probably not a constant communication type relationship. Yeah. But he did make the trip from Texas towards North Carolina and upon arrival, immediately located their car at a trailhead parking lot in the National Forest. Irene's body was found just 100 yards from her parked car, was covered by leaves and branches. She'd been killed by a large blow to her head. And before discovering her body on November 9th, detectives subpoenaed telephone and financial records and found that she had attempted to call 911 at 4 p.m. on October 21st, the day they went leaf looking. But the call failed or didn't go through either to lack of service or um, it being interrupted by an outside source like the killer. They also discovered an ATM withdrawal the following day in Ducktown, Tennessee, from John's ATM card for $300. From that security footage at the bank in Tennessee, they were able to see that the person withdrawing the money was a slender build, and that was not John Bryant. He was a really big guy and kind of um, broad. Investigators did speculate that Hilton had sat waiting just inside the forest or in the parking lot. Um, so from all this, John's skeletal remains were not found until February 5th, 2008, actually in the Nanahala National Forest, which was like a hundred or so miles away from where Irene's body was found because he had, Hilton had killed Irene. I guess he thought he couldn't handle both of them because he wanted to kidnap for money. That was his whole plan. He figured he couldn't do both, so he killed Irene, left her in the Pisgah National Forest, and then took John to do ATM withdrawals, killed him, and his body was not found until 2008. Is this guy just really, really bad at making money? Because, like, (laughs) you killed two people for $300? And, like, the the, the plan was to kill people for money? But, like, $300? So after I talk about all his victims, I'm going to talk about the trials. $100 of that in gas is driving the 100 miles between the place you kidnapped the dude and the place you dropped his body. Yeah, and he had a, I'm pretty sure it was a white van. It's not like it was a cheap, you know, it was a gas guzzler. But I'm going to talk about what he kind of says um, at at trial that, you know, kind of makes, anyway, I'm just going to talk about it in a minute. But his second victim was Cheryl Dunlap. So Cheryl Dunlap disappeared from the Leon Sinks Geological Area, which is in Leon County, Florida, on December 1st, 2007. So really shortly after Irene and John were murdered, um, Cheryl Dunlap disappears. So that morning, Dunlap called a friend, Kiana Hill. They made arrangements to have dinner that evening. That afternoon, though, Dunlap went to Leon Sinks to read, where she was last seen by hikers Michael and Vicki Shirley at 1.30 p.m. They described that she was wearing jeans and a sweater and carrying a hardback book. 
Dunlap did not arrive for dinner that night with her friend Kiana Hill, and she was missed at church the following morning. A church member, Tanya Land, went to Dunlap's residence and found her dog, but noticed that her car was missing, so she called police on December 3rd. Dunlap's white Toyota Camry was found on the side of Highway 319, parked near the woods, with her purse still in her car, but no money was found. The three days immediately following her disappearance, Dunlap's ATM card was used, totaling $700. In addition, two attempted withdrawals were declined because they exceeded the daily limit. The video from the security camera at the bank showed the person making the transactions was wearing a blue and white pattern, long sleeve shirt, glasses, a hat, and a makeshift mask made from tape. Detectives sat out at the ATM for the next week, but Hilton never returned. Okay, I'm going to put this on our either in social media or the blog that we have because this mask he made, Susan, you should Google it. I'm Gary going Hilton, to right now. Yeah, Gary Hilton um, ATM mask. It is creepy. Like, it's terrifying. What the fuck? Right? Do you I see mean, it? <clears throat> like, that's effective because yeah. you can't see his face. Okay, so I immediately think of this thing we've talked about multiple times that I can never remember the name for. But what is it when something, like, looks human but isn't human? Uncanny. Uncanny. It's just the uncanny. The uncanny. Uncanny valley is another term, but that's just kind of, like, I guess maybe, like, a broader term. Yeah. All of those, like, it encapsulates all of those things. But, yeah, when when, when something is, like, either almost human or something like that uncanny but it almost it that's what it immediately reminds me of because you can tell it's a person but it's like they don't have a nose or like there's just like a slit for a mouth it's really creepy okay so Dunlap's body was discovered on December 15th by a hunter in the Apalachicola National Forest he only discovered the body because he noticed a large presence of buzzards. And we all know that like that just means there's some kind of dead something. A sample of her thigh was used to identify her because her head and her hands had been removed. Yeah, this guy's fucking sick. The medical examiner testified um, that with his best estimate, Dunlap died between December 5th and December 8th. On January 9th of 2008, investigators found what they believed to be the remains of Dunlap's head and hands in a fire pit at a campsite seven miles from where her body had been found. The bone fragments were charred, and because of the burn damage, no DNA was recoverable. Okay, so I'm going to kind of skim through this, but several witnesses testified that they encountered Gary Hilton during the time period surrounding Dunlap's disappearance. From late November to December 18th, a few witnesses said Hilton asked them for a jump on his van battery and tried to make small talk, to which they declined. Smart. On December 1st, 2007, Celeste Hutchins saw Gary Hilton on Crawfordsville Highway, not far from Leon Sinks, where Dunlap went missing. Hutchins testified that Hilton was rummaging through a white Camry on the side of the road. On December 18th, 2007, Teresa Johnson saw Hilton in Bristol, Florida, where Hilton made conversation, told her she looked like Dunlap, and said it was too bad about that girl getting murdered. 
He's bold. Investigators yeah. knew Hilton. <laughs> Fucking cringy. So they knew Hilton was in the area at the time of the murder because a forestry agent has run his vehicle tag number on December 7th, but they also ran it on November 17th to make sure the vehicle wasn't stolen. Um, after Dunlap's body was found, the hunter that found her reported that he had actually come into contact with Hilton in the forest while he was hunting. He said that Hilton was wielding a knife and appeared, appeared homeless. The hunter warned him that the woods was a bad place to be during hunting season and um, continued on with his day. But because of that interaction, he was able to identify Hilton in a photo lineup. Cheryl Dunlap's murder was kind of what put Gary Hilton on police radar. Now we're going to talk about Meredith Emerson, which is, I think, his most well-known case. Again, it's that whole, like, 24-year-old white female. Missing pretty white girl. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, Meredith Emerson was 24. She left home on New Year's Day in 2008 from Buford, Georgia, with her black lab, Ella, to hike her favorite trail on Blood Mountain. But also the dog. But also, who the fuck hikes on Blood Mountain? And the thing about Hilton, he had a dog. He had a pet dog. It was like a red, golden um, retriever. And he said, which I'm going to talk about again, but he said in the trial that he just could not kill the dog. He couldn't kill Ella. But he could disassociate and kill Meredith. Which makes me wonder if I could do the same thing because when mo- when I see movies of people it's being... It's like you took that right out of my brain. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so glad I'm not the only one who thought that. But when I watch... I'm thinking, I don't know, I kind of I kind of identify with that a little bit. Yeah, I can't even watch movies with animals. I get so sad. Even if they're not dying. I legitimately, I consult doesthedogdie.com before watching things. Because I'm not going to watch it. And um, by the way, as long as I said that, I might as well go ahead and say I read a post about the new horror show on Netflix called Black Mass. Mm-hmm. Is that I right? That. I don't know. Okay. No. Midnight Mass. Midnight Mass. Okay. <laughs> I may have to, I may owe my mom an apology because I think I told her Black Mass was a horror show and she's like, it doesn't look like horror. My dad's like, um, I think Susan knows her horror. If there's a chance that I said that about Black Mass, not Midnight Mass. I didn't realize there were two shows that sounded very similar. It's Making Midnight a public Mass. apology to Karen. Sorry, mom. If I said Black Mass, it's Midnight Mass. That's the horror show. Black Mass is about a mobster. Probably also something you wouldn't really like, but that's not the point. <laughs> so what about um, the show? So in Midnight Mass, I, I apparently like in the maybe in the very first episode, there's like some really horrific animal massacring. And I'm so glad that I saw a post about it because I 100% intended to watch that. Mm. And now I'll just skip it or maybe consult Does the Dog Die and figure out exactly where does that happen? And like, is it going to be a recurring issue or is this a one time thing? That's why I couldn't watch Don't Fuck With Cats. Mm-mm. I had like, did you? That came out. No, I had within like a day or two of that being out, or maybe a day or two of people just really going crazy watching it. I got messages from like four or five people going, "Do not watch this. You do mm. not want to watch this." And I'm like, I love that you guys know me. <laughs> How could anyone watch it? I don't understand. 
I don't understand. I don't either. I can't do, I can't do animal, like animals being hurt, being killed, getting lost in the forest, even if they ultimately find their way home, homeward bound. I still Mm-mm. have trauma. Like, I can't no. watch, I can't watch Land Before Time. It's a cartoon about dinosaurs. have 100% literally never watched Land Before Time because I'm just not going to put myself through that. Or Bambi or Dumbo. I can't do it. I have seen both Bambi and Dumbo, but that's a never again. One time was fine. Thank you very much. (laughs) Okay. So Meredith Emerson ventures out on New Year's Day with her Black Lab Ella to hike her favorite trail on Blood Mountain. So that's the highest peak in Georgia's section of the Appalachian Trail, and it's located in the Chattahoochee National Forest. So she did not return home. So on January 2nd, 2008, her friends and about 100 fellow hikers and volunteers began to search for her. But they eventually had to stop because there was a severe winter storm moving in the area that forced them to stop, which is devastating. So after her disappearance made the news, of course, witnesses started to come forward who saw Meredith hiking that day. One caller was a former police officer. He reported that while hiking, he discovered a police baton, water bottle, sunglasses, a barrette, and a dog leash and treats scattered over an area that was disturbed. He had seen an older man with a police baton walking with a younger woman minutes before finding the items, and he recognized the leash as the one the young woman had been holding. At first, he thought they were father and daughter, but the scattered belongings and evidence of a struggle concerned him. So while there, he talked to another group of hikers who had also seen the man hiding in the woods, but they were unable to locate him after a short search. So a former police officer sees an older man with a younger woman. Understandable, understandable. um, First off, thinking that they were father and daughter and not necessarily like clocking there's being something wrong, Mm -hmm. but then finding the leash and being like, huh, something's wrong enough to talk to other people. But he didn't just call 911. I think they maybe didn't have service. Okay. Okay. Um, so they, he got with those other people and they tried to search for the man and the woman and they couldn't find him because later Hilton says that he actually took Meredith off the trail down through like a really dangerous area to get back to the parking lot. Um, But the thing that I saw in, I think it was a YouTube video, is they said that they weren't walking together when the police officer saw them. The woman was right directly in front of the man, like too close for comfort to be walking on a hiking trail, almost like he had a knife at her back or something. Mm -hmm. And that to me is so suspicious. So obviously he just wasn't, you know... People don't intervene. People don't intervene. Yeah. And I don't really understand why, especially, and I mean, it seems like especially men don't intervene. Women are much more likely to be like, hey, you okay? Yeah. Like, you good? Things okay? Yeah. Blink twice if you need help. But it just, I don't know that. So, I'm sorry, I think you said, but I was, I was focused on the details so he called this tip in after she had been reported missing? Mm, yeah. Or he actually reported it like that day? Um, the court record said after her disappearance made the news, that's when he came forward. 
there's there's my problem. Like you yeah. you saw she, these things, you were concerned enough to like search for this girl with other people, but you didn't call it in that day and say, yeah. Hey, I saw something strange and I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, I mean you didn't grab a park ranger. I just feel like there's I don't know, but people don't intervene. I don't know if there are park rangers in National Forest. Oh, I don't, I don't know. There's forest rangers. Forest rangers, true. Maybe, but um, I mean, I am kind. I'm not familiar with the area she was in, but I'm familiar with other areas, and there's not really a lot of like rangers out and about. It just seems like being law enforcement, your instinct, like you would, yeah, you would have that, like, and he did. He had the something's wrong instinct. But it's like once it was out of his sight and they couldn't find him, he was I mean, like, he well. Probably, I mean, I'm sure he probably just talked himself out of it. Like, I'm being like, I'm being paranoid. I'm being like, this is. Maybe he yeah. was, maybe he second guessed that instinct because he's like, Am I, I'm just thinking like a cop and I should probably just be hiking and minding my business, which I, I can kind of understand as well. That's, you know. Yeah. So it says the you next. You never think you're going to see somebody being kidnapped by a serial killer. Right. No. So it says the next day after seeing the report on TV, that's when the former police officer came forward about what he'd seen. So it was the next day. Um, so on January 2nd, John Tabor, which was Hilton's former employee, the one that he threatened to kill for $10,000, came forward and said that the Hilton's description matched the description of the man seen with Emerson on the trail. He said he... Hilton had called him a few hours before, apologized for acting erratically and violently towards him, asked him for money again, and told him that he was near Blood Mountain. Okay, so police also recovered surveillance images of Hilton unsuccessfully attempting to use Meredith's ATM card. Investigators had hoped that Emerson was still alive, and they were now sure she was, so they put out Hilton's DMV photo to the media. Um... There's just so much information on this case, like an abundance of information. So I tried to just use the court transcripts. I have such a love-hate relationship with cases that have so much information. I know, because there was absolutely, there was like one paragraph of information on Irene and um, John Bryant. Okay, so on January 4th, a witness called police to report he'd encountered an older man and a young woman camping near a white van. The witness was driving a lawn care truck when he got it stuck in a stream. He asked the older man for help, but the man refused. The witness said it seemed like the man was trying to keep him away from the van where the young woman was. So when the witness called police, um, and then when the witness called police to ask for help removing his stuck vehicle, the man quickly packed up and left the area. That same day, Meredith's dog, Ella, was found wandering in a grocery store parking lot in the town of Cumming, Georgia, which was about 60 miles from Meredith's last known whereabouts. Investigators also discovered bloody clothing, bloody men's boots, Emerson's purse and wallet in a dumpster across the street from the store where Ella was located. And also a boot that was later confirmed to be Cheryl Dunlap's was was recovered from the dumpster. So it's all coming together. Meredith's... All coming together. Meredith's case is the one that puts, like, Cheryl Dunlap put him on police radar, but I think Mm -hmm. Meredith's case was the one that, like, put him out there in the media spotlight. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Well, um, and that's the, that was the first one that that um, was reported missing soon enough that they were actually they actually thought maybe they could mm-hmm. find her alive, which makes a huge difference too. And they had multiple ATM attempts, um, but they were all with the wrong pin. So they assumed that a Meredith that Meredith was giving him the wrong pin to like keep herself alive or to keep him from stealing her money, which I get, I, I've never been a victim and I'm not victim blaming and I don't know what I would do in that situation, but I could see where she's coming from trying to keep herself alive longer because she's seen his face. And although he was telling her you're safe with me, he's going to kill her. And she knew that. And so she was trying to prolong it. Yeah. I mean, you're never, that's, you know, that's kind of the whole never get in the car, mm-hmm. never go inside, never, you know, when somebody says, I'm going to kill you if you don't get in the car, fine, you can fucking try to kill me right here, right now, but I'm not getting in the car. Yeah. Also, Meredith was a blue belt in, let me see if I wrote that down, karate, some kind of. I just saw, I was just trying to find if I, see if I could find what she was wearing when she disappeared. And I, I don't see anything that gives a accurate description just on a real quick search but um I saw several things that talked about him talking about the fact that she fought him so hard mm-hmm. yeah and one thing that just broke my heart was he she begged him to go back to the park to get Ella and he did like when he originally kidnapped her they left Ella in uh-huh. the national park and she begged him to go back he did and then I think this is where I read he just couldn't kill Ella, so he dropped her off. And another thing that I find is really sick about this is they ask him in the interrogations, which was almost five hours long, by the way, was it hard to kill Meredith? And he's like, well, obviously it was hard. We spent a few great days together. Like, who the fuck? What the fuck? Wow. Yeah. And the way he killed her. I debated not talking about it. I'm going to, I am going to put a trigger warning because it is horrific the way he killed her. Just the, just the little things I saw just now make it. Yeah. 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 So, okay. So later that evening after all that stuff was discovered from the dumpster, a witness called 911 and I actually listened to this um, 911 call and I had heard it before when I watched, I think it was like Kendall Ray did a, do you know her? She's on YouTube. She does true crime stuff. I think I've seen her. does she have dark hair? Yeah. It doesn't matter. I, I think I think that's the YouTube video I watched on this, and she had the call in there. But it's a I think a young guy. He was at a local gas station cleaning up. He called nine one one because he saw Hilton at a local gas station cleaning out a white van. When police arrived, they actually prevented Hilton, this. yeah, from using the vacuum cleaner and bleach which he was about to use on the van's interior. So when they discovered this, they found bloody clothing and blankets that he attempted to throw away in the gas station trash cans. There was blood in the vehicle that later matched Emerson. And then right after that, Hilton was charged with murder. So in the interrogations, Hilton admitted that Emerson fought back against him using her martial arts skills. Oh, it says here a blue belt in Aikido. Aikido, I think. Aikido, I've never heard of that. I don't know. I'll be honest and say I don't know the difference between any of them. Yeah. He did say she was um, 
almost able to get away, but she had lost her footing and stumbled, and that's when he was able to subdue her. Um, He chose to attack her because she was a woman. They'd hiked together for quite a while before she eventually outpaced him, and that's when he decided to lay in wait on the trail. He he was only going to rob her for her ATM card, um, but he admitted to taking her from the parking lot, returning at the request of her to pick up Ella. They drove to multiple banks, successfully, unsuccessfully attempted to use her ATM card. And then this is what I said about police believing she intentionally was giving him the wrong PIN number to buy time. Um, okay, so eventually Hilton gave up, drove Emerson, and this is, I'm going to put a trigger warning because this is fucked up. Eventually Hilton gave up, drove Emerson to a secluded location. Um, he tied her to a tree and hit her over the head repeatedly with the carjack handle. And then he decapitated her. There had to be noise. I'm sure Ella was barking her head off. I'm sure that there are places there are places that are secluded. People have the idea, people who don't wander off into the woods intentionally seem to have the idea that there aren't places that are really that secluded. And there are so many places in this country that are genuinely mm-hmm. completely secluded. Yeah. That no oh. one would hear you scream. Oh my God. It's so I'm with up. you on the not victim blaming. And I don't, I, I just, it seems like, okay, he's going to take you to a bank. That's public. Well, the investigator said that they assumed from the way she was handling it, that she was expecting one, that all the failed attempts to be picked up by a fraud expert, which they should have been. They should have been, but still, what are they going to do? They're not going to think you were kidnapped. That They're not going to immediately be like, oh, multiple failed attempts. That person's been kidnapped. They're going to think the card's been stolen. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I know, I understand, like, trying to, you know, mm-hmm. stall for time, trying to send a message. But, like, that's public. Your yeah. dog's in the forest. You, you don't have any reason to not run. Like, get in public and then well, run and scream your head off like your life depends on it because it does. With, her dog was with her the whole time. But she made him, she asked him to go back to pick up the dog. Yeah. When he left with her without the dog the first time, like, okay, cool. Your dog is okay. You can go back for the dog. Mm -hmm. Dog's cool right now. You don't have any reason. Once the dog was with them, I totally understand why she didn't run. Because I wouldn't have run and left my dog. Yeah. Like, I don't care. I don't care. I'm not going to run and leave my dog. If I can't manage to get my dog and get away at the same time. I'm not risking it and make mm-hmm. sure my dog's okay. I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, there's no way to know who knows. Nobody knows exactly what happened or how any of that went down because he's not going to tell any story that makes, that doesn't, that he doesn't want people to mm-hmm. know. You know what I mean? Like anything that makes him look bad or anything that makes it look like she maybe could have gotten away from him. He's not going to tell that part. No. So... After he decapitated her, he covered her body with leaves and then drove an hour away to another wooded area and discarded her head. He then said he was unable to kill Ella and decided to let her go. And then in an interview, when they asked whether it was hard for him to kill Emerson, he said, it was hard, but you got to remember, we had spent several good days together. Mm. He did offer to lead investigators to her body if they agreed to remove the death penalty An autopsy confirmed Hilton's story 
uh, Meredith Emerson's cause of death was officially listed as blunt force trauma to the head, and she had been decapitated post-mortem. He pled guilty to Emerson's murder on January 30th, 2008, and was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 30 years. So then on June 6, 2008, two officers were driving Hilton from Georgia to Florida, and he had not been questioned on the whole entire ride, but they said that he would not stop talking the whole five-hour drive, and he was recorded the whole time. Obviously. Yeah. Like a fucking dumbass. So I I have the whole thing of what he said, but really there's two, maybe three sentences that I want to read out of it. So he says, I'm sure you can see. I mean, I'm a fucking genius, man. I'm not a I'm not all bad. I just, you know, lost my mind for a little bit, lost your grip on myself. What can I tell you? And then I guess a police officer was talking about how this could not have possibly been the only three murders he'd ever committed. And to that, he said, there was nothing before September, okay? I mean, I'm not joking. I just, I got old and sick and couldn't make a living. And I just lost my fucking mind for a while. I couldn't get a grip on it. Wow. Yeah, he was convicted for Emerson in 2008. And then on February 17, 2011 is when the one for Cheryl Dunlap started. And they had the Georgia Bureau of Investigation come in and testify to his prior felony for Emerson, and they recalled the horrific nature of the crime during that trial. He Hilton was indicted, indicted on Thursday, February 28, 2008, for Dunlap's murder, kidnapping, and two counts of grand theft. He was found guilty by a unanimous jury in February of 2011 and sentenced to death. So Dunlap was Hilton's third known victim. He was sentenced in her case after being tried and found guilty for his last known victim, Meredith Emerson. So then the Bryant's case started March 27, 2012. And these were his first known victims, although their sentencing was the last. He was convicted for the murder of Irene and Jack Bryant, as well as robbery, kidnapping, and firearms offenses in connection with the October 2007 murders of the couple. So I do want to say I looked up to see where he was now, and in his latest appeal, which was in 2000, August of 2020, I believe, Hilton's defense attorneys argued he was entitled to a new trial and sentencing, claiming ineffective... They let the Georgia, they let the Bureau of Investigation testify about prior acts. Yeah. Um, That's fucking stupid. Why would they do that? That's begging for a conviction to be overturned. They're not. They didn't overturn it. And they They said didn't. No. The Supreme Court rejected the claims, including the claim that additional evidence about his abusive childhood, history of substance abuse or or brain damage could have altered the outcome. Um, But yeah, they. They rejected it. I'm impressed that, that that did not cause a problem, because as soon as you said they testified about prior acts, I'm like, why would they let that happen? Because well, they said that was a huge reason for why his um, appeal was overturned was because of that, because of his prior conviction. Hmm. Interesting. I know, that, I know that um, allowing testimony about prior acts can be a huge benefit when you're appealing because the idea is this trial is not about anything else you've done before. The trial is about this thing and being guilty of something else doesn't mean that you're guilty of this. 
So making that, making your prior acts evidence, when you allow testimony, you're making that into evidence in the current trial. That can be a huge problem. So I just wonder if they rejected it simply based on how horrific both of the crimes were. Entirely possible. Um, so the Florida Department of Corrections records show that Hilton, who is now, I believe, 75, has been on Florida's death row since April of 2011, where he will stay unless him and his lawyer decide to take it to the Supreme Court again for an appeal. But I doubt they will overturn it. So that's where he is. Oh, well, Andy's 75, so, you know. I believe he's 75, so that was... That sounds right. Yeah, let me do the math real quick. 2021, 1946. Yeah, 75. Yeah, that's right. Wow. Yeah. It is, it is hard to believe that those are his only victims, though. Yeah. But um, on the other let me hand, read. I don't know. I mean... I mean, there were a lot of potential victims, but there was nothing concrete to tie him. It was just all in the same area that he had been. Which, as we know, lots of people are murdered Mm -hmm. in national parks and national forests. So, yeah. Oh, God, that was depressing. (laughs) Really? I mean, it's horrible to think how he killed all of them, but I don't know. Something about... Meredith being only 24 and like knowing she was tied to a tree while she was alive and just like. It's all, I mean, the whole thing is just really horrific. Yeah. Um, I guess I missed the part where he was talking about, oh no, I I said it where he was in the van Mm -hmm. on the way and he was just talking about how he'd never done this before. He just lost his mind. Part of me believes him because if he does have a traumatic brain injury, yeah, he could have just lost his mind, but well, I mean, he has literally every every one of the little boxes that you want to check for. Is this person like w- like what is that? What does the serial killer's past look like? Yeah. Traumatic brain injury, abuse as a child, mm-hmm. like yeah, military but service. If there can... is a lot, and it's not so much the service, but being discharged from military service for mental issues without necessarily being sectionated. Mm-hmm. which is just um it makes me wonder though if he came forward so easily about these three four killings why would he not come forward about other ones you know that's a real good question so who knows but that is gary michael hilton the national forest serial killer this is where like the murder squad's um weekly distraction thing like i really kind of understand do you I'm listen to Murder heard. Squad? No. Okay, Murder Squad's a really good podcast. Um, it's uh, Paul Holes, who is, I think, former law enforcement. I don't think he's currently law enforcement. And Billy Jensen, who um, was, he's the one who helped, worked with Michelle McNamara mm-hmm. on the Golden State case. And Paul Holes w- was involved with that case as well. Um, And Billy Jensen is an investigative reporter journalist. And he's kind of one of the first people that really jumped into using um, social media to crowdsource information. Yeah. Um, But their their podcast is very good. And they do at the end of their episodes, because like this, like so most of their episodes, some of our episodes are not terribly depressing. Yeah. The vast majority of their episodes, maybe all of them are terribly depressing. (laughs) 
So the end of their episode is what they call the weekly distraction. Mm -hmm. And they just talk about like, you know, what, what something they did that week that was outside of the murder world. Hmm. And the funniest part of it is that Paul, the police, the law enforcement, um, frequently struggles to come up with something that he did that wasn't work. Okay. Well, I can say we did find out that we have lived in multiple neighborhoods since we've been together and we always go all out for Halloween decorating. We always buy full size candy bars. We never have trick or treaters. And so we found out from our neighbors a few days ago that they do a big Halloween here. So we went to Costco and bought $40 worth of full size candy bars and we're going to go get some brand new Halloween decorations and we have a carport so we're going to, not a garage, we're going to move the cars and do some kind of cool, like, setup out there. I'm excited. I love that. That makes me, okay, this is a perfect weekly distraction because <laughs> I am currently in the process of hanging witch hats Cute. in my living room. Um, and I have little um, battery-powered uh, flickering LED candles that I'm, like, hanging inside the little hats. This is all, I saw this on, I can't remember now if I saw it on, first on TikTok or Instagram or I don't know yeah. but um it looks so cute when it's all done and I think I'm gonna hang maybe some candles just by themselves like Harry Potter style you should send me a picture or a video and I'll post it on our Instagram so I will absolutely yeah. do that when it's all yeah. done and it looks all pretty and it's awesome. like hanging right above my I have on Julius's ashes are on my mantle mm -hmm. and I'm gonna set up his whole little um his whole little Dia de los Muertos altar with his uh, candle and his little mouse and all of his, like, aw, all of his stuff. So, sweet. once it's all done, I will send you a picture so that we can post it. That is a good distraction. You're welcome, guys. Yes, that was perfect. I'm so glad we did that. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much better to end an episode on something fun instead of something sad. Thank you so much for the continued support. Please find and follow us at Wild and Woke Pod on Instagram and Twitter. If you're looking for bonus content, early episode releases, and free merch, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. We are looking for listener stories, so if you have anything weird or creepy that happened to you, we want to share it. Email us at wildandwokepodcast at gmail.com. And remember, all stories start somewhere. Be wild, stay woke, and question everything.